and I stumbled upon the exercise and sports science program and with the emphasis on fitness and the concentration and strength and conditioning, I was dumbfounded. I was like, wow, they actually have a program for this. This is actually a legit program. I joke around at Fitness Line Down talking about when I went to exercise school. <laughs> what, did I, what did I just recently say? I said willy-nilly. And I mentioned that that was actually solid vocab that we had to learn our third year of exercise fitness school. How exciting. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Fitness Line Down podcast, where I am your host and owner extraordinaire, Corey Cripe. A quick apology. Last week, if you endured my podcast episode, I apologize. Um, you know, it's, it's that Catholic time of year where we celebrate Lent. And I recorded on a Wednesday in the afternoon. And I'm going to tell you right now, I do not fast well. Now, I don't want your sympathies, please. But I, when I recorded in the afternoon, I mean, my brain was just kind of coasting, I guess you could say. Um, and which also, you know, again, religious fasting, very important. Yes, I will stand by that. It's tough. It's difficult. And I'm a whiner and a little... A little weakling when it comes to this. But it also tells me how important food really is for brain function, <laughs> if not just physical function. So I always try to I always try to justify myself that I can eat more because I have a physically demanding job, which maybe in the past was true, but in the present I do, I'm on the floor, but I am not on the floor nearly as much as I once was. So Again, I mean, a bad, bad excuse um, for my absent-mindedness. Let's just call it that. You know, I started a few times in regards to I had, I lost, totally lost where I was going with some of my thoughts. But I have a feeling today that I will be able to deliver. I think we're going to have one absolutely banger of a show today. So I'm excited to get this going for you. And let's talk about putting the fun back in functional training. Now, there goes my voice. I, I don't know what's going on there. But fun in functional training. I want to I unpack a little bit my story of being introduced into quote-unquote functional training. And also why I think functional training just, eh, it, it's one of those fad words, those terminologies that we use in the fitness industry that really bother me. Uh, bother me for so many reasons. But let's just talk about little Corey back when he was born. I'm just kidding. We're not going to go that far back. But, you know, everybody, I, I have a feeling, and I know this to be certain, people that get into the fitness industry, fitness professionals, trainers, coaches, whatever you want to call us, we do this because we have been touched by fitness, by physical activity, by strength training, whatever our modality is. It's touched us in a way that we feel good when we do it. And it's benefited us. And we know in the hearts that it's going to benefit other people. And we want to help those people. We want to be the conduit of that fitness, that experience that we've had, so that we can share that with others. I mean, I, even, even the rough, tough, push them until they puke kind of trainers, they mean well. I mean, this is where I have to just say it. They mean well. 
this is their experience of fitness. It's a little extreme, not my cup of tea. I think maybe some people, this they're, they're drawn to that, obviously. I, I don't think it's a very sustainable approach um, because I think many people that get into that type of extremes in regards to their training end up either getting injured or they fizzle out. Um, it just, it doesn't last. It's, it's impossible to last like that. However, back to my original point, those trainers, yoga instructors, I mean, just everybody, everybody wants to help somebody. And this is why we get into the industry. And I am no different. When I started uh, working out, quote unquote, working out, and I started lifting weights, quote unquote, lifting weights, I still remember one of my first uh, pieces of equipment I had at home were the uh, plastic plates that you filled with either water or sand. And it's like, it's almost prophetic <laughs> to where I am now because I still have implements that are filled with sand and water. Uh, but it was that whole bench press. And I just remember the bench press for anybody that's familiar with bench pressing. They had the narrow rack there. So it's like your hands actually had to go on the outside of what held the bar. It was such a narrow uh, base, a narrow stand. And, you know, if you missed it, oof, you missed it big. And fortunately, the weight we weren't the weight we were working with wasn't extreme, but at my young age, it was still relatively heavy. <laughs> Probably not, but I like to think it was. And as I grew in confidence, I started I started changing. You know, puberty, yes, but I, I wholeheartedly believe that what I was doing in the weight room was helping me, and I really was drawn to that. When I went to UW Lacrosse for college, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. I really had no idea what they offered. Well, actually, check that. I did think I knew what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to be a physical therapist. And we've talked about this in episodes before because that seems to be a pretty popular thing for people in the fitness industry. They wanted to start first as a physical therapist. And I don't want to say like they dropped out of that because it was too challenging or too long of a program. Yes, for both for me, I didn't want to be in school that long, but it's it's that whole mentality that a lot of PTs are hamstrung by red tape, as we've talked about with Dan Swinsco. Trainers, personal trainers, I mean, we don't have that lording over by insurance as much. We We get to play our own game. We get to train people the way we want to train people. We have a lot of freedom and liberties, which is a good thing. But on the other side of the coin, I think it could be a negative thing at the same time. There needs to be some maybe, and I, I just don't want to touch into this so much, but maybe some standards, some regulations. So, yeah, I, I'm not going to go into that. Uh, we've talked about that with Josh Henkin before in other episodes. I can't remember which ones, but this is not the episode for that. Anyway, so as I started doing this, I go to lacrosse. And I'm just not quite certain where I want to be um, in regards to programming, in regards to school programming, uh, where where my destination, my destiny was going to take me for professionalism. And I stumbled upon the exercise and sports science program and with the emphasis on fitness and the concentration and strength and conditioning. And I, I, was, I was dumbfounded. I was like, wow, they actually have a program for this. This is actually a legit program. And it's just so funny because I joke around at Fitness Line Down talking about when I went to exercise school <laughs> and how, uh, what, did I, what did I just recently say? I said, willy-nilly, 
I said, we cannot let our, I think I was talking about the dead bugs. We cannot allow our legs to move willy-nilly. And I mentioned that that was actually solid vocab that we had to learn our third year of exercise, fitness school. How exciting. But truth be told, in all seriousness, got through the program, graduated, and wanted to do that whole thing of helping other people. I figured that this is where I could be a little bit more science-based. I could be a little more research-driven in regards to exercises, selection, how to make better programs. You know, what? why did I get into the program of strength conditioning? I, it, because I like it. Not because I thought I was going to be lucrative in money-making. Of course, I'm rolling in the dough right now like Scrooge McDuck. However, it was more of a, this is where I wanted to go with my life. And it was weird because I had no idea where I wanted to go, except most, as you're getting through the program, you talk to the students, and I think this might be even true today, if they're not on the pre-professional track, which means that they're on their way to physical therapy, a lot of, a lot of students in this program are probably thinking about owning a gym. And that's where I was ended up being. I was thinking, like, yeah, I'm going to own my own gym. And oof, I just think about what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And I'm so glad that... That did not come to fruition because I'm sure if it did, I might be bankrupt right now. <laughs> so much so much space I wanted, so much equipment. I was ready to take out every loan if I could so I could just back up my gym and just rock it. And that would not have happened. I've seen too many of my friends and too many of my peers overreach. And it's a sad thing because we've had so many good people in this industry with good hearts, good intentions, and really good brains that just couldn't make it because they, they dove in a little deeper than they should have. But here I am, I graduate, and I get that rock-tastic internship with the Chicago Bulls strength conditioning staff. We've had on uh, one of my mentors, Coach Al Vermeil, legendary Hall of Famer strength coach Al Vermeil. And wow, that really opened my eyes. What I was learning in school I thought was kind of cool, like biomechanics. I've never taken a physics course at all in my lifetime, biomechanics being the closest that I have. And it's only now that I truly appreciate physics and biomechanics when it comes to human movement. I wish, I just wish I would have been maybe a better student. I wish the university would have provided better learning, but it is what it is. Anatomy, that was exciting. Physiology, that was exciting exercise-based classes, you know, it was, it was pretty cool. It was, it was very, I, I don't want to say it was demanding, but you had to be in it. You had to definitely put your heart into it. And fortunately enough, I was able to graduate. But once again, that internship with the Chicago Bulls definitely started opening my eyes. And that's where I first learned. And this, let's be honest, was in the fall of 2001. I started hearing that word functional training. And I had no idea what really that was all about because it kind of feels like a redundant term maybe that isn't all training functional. Like, don't we want, don't I want to be strong in the gym so I could be strong outside of the gym? Isn't there a functional purpose to that? But as we divvy up, as we divvy up the different kinds of methodologies, you know, there's powerlifting. Powerlifting is that sport that requires you to lift the maximum amount of weight one time, in your, in your competition. That's a very demanding sport. Um, I think it's very hard on the body, but I think there's a lot of things we can learn from powerlifters. Bodybuilding, 
what is bodybuilding? It's once again, another sport that requires you to be very disciplined in your nutrition and just discipline in your life period. So you could build and create this physique of symmetry and mass and that you go on stage and you compete um, for the best physique. Very demanding, very hard on the body. And then we have athletic, well, we have uh, Olympic weightlifting. So taking barbells and going into power cleans, snatches, all those things you see in the Olympics. Very impressive. Very impressive. Sports-based training, I guess. Um, you know, whatever NFL people do, football people do for their athletes, whatever basketball does for their athletes. But having that strength conditioning program it would be a better terminology for it. That's going to be more in your sports-centered training, so uh, strength and conditioning. And then you have everyone else. Well, I'm going to say out of that pie of powerlifters and bodybuilders and Olympic weightlifters and all this stuff, and maybe even maybe even the sliver professional CrossFitters, the everybody else is quite the category. I mean, that's the majority of the people that need strength conditioning, that needs strength training, that needs fitness. And I think, you know, of course, it's not as sexy, though. Like when I'm going to train professional athletes, that's a resume builder. That is like, wow, I train professional athletes. If I'm going to be a power lifter, training power lifting people, all these are sports, very sexy, very glamorous, at least on paper. But if I'm just training everybody else's moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, well, not so sexy. However, very important more important than training these athletes because these are the people that do things that make the world go round and we need them to be functioning. So as I was with the Chicago Bulls and learning about functional training, for me at that point, again, early 2000s, it was more, it was what we kind of sometimes I think still put the functional training in the box of corrective exercises using minimal weight and performing almost circus acts. Now, I'm not going to say in any which way that the Chicago Bulls ever did any circus kind of training. Um, they had a pretty, obviously, a good program. But you know, there's a lot of stability ball things that were used that maybe, I don't know, maybe shouldn't have been used. Uh, a lot of unstable surfaces being used. And for them, this is what they did. They had a lot of research. They had a lot of people on their team with different therapists and athletic trainers. So this would help out with that population. However, when we're talking about working with the general population, that would be everybody's moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, we have to take a better look at how we train them. We can't train them like bodybuilders. We can't train them like power lifters. And we certainly shouldn't be training them as professional sports or as professional athletes, let alone collegiate athletes, maybe at best weekend warriors. But these, these are the people, like I said, that make the world go round. They're the movers and shakers. They're the ones that are out there busting their hump, helping people, whether in different industries, um, you know, they're taking their kids to school, picking them up, all these extracurricular activities. And somehow they're able to still fit in a workout, a training session. So we have to be thinking about the best way to approach this. And I think with functional training, this is going to be the way to hit home. Because as I will um, talk about here, 
very efficient and very effective. And that's what people need. They can't be wasting their time in the gyms. Power lifters, uh, professional power lifters, professional bodybuilders, professional athletes, they've got time. This is their job. This is part of their job description is to spend time in the weight room. How do we evolve into better functional training? As I mentioned, when I was learning with the Bulls, it was all this corrective exercise, like not, not really lifting a significant amount of weight per se, but putting your body in these positions where you're trying to create strength, especially what we're talking about, like core strength and core stability. But if I was to be doing the things that we were doing with the Bulls with general population people, they wouldn't be necessarily getting quite the training effect. Or maybe they're getting too much training effect. Maybe the input is way too much as I put them on unstable surfaces. If I'm having, trying to have them stand on one leg on a wobble board as they might be doing. And I'm not saying I'm not saying at all that this is what we did with the Chicago Bulls. But this is where my curiosity was leading me. I thought that this was kind of the where functional training was going. And again, we're talking about early 2000s. So social media was not the influencer it is today. This was just my curiosity, my creativity, slash stupidity, that was starting to do different things. Um, I was I was the jerk that would stand on a stability ball and squat. Now, I never was the one doing it with weight, but I'd be the one balancing on the ball and squatting up and down. And I was pretty determined that I was training my stabilizers because at the time, that was the key word, stabilizers. You want to train your stabilizers. So I felt, as I was talking to other peers, that the more you wobble and shake on an implement, the better your stabilizers are working to help you out. And that would seem to make common sense. I could probably sell it to anybody. However, research is showing otherwise, that when I'm shaking that much, when I'm unstable, and it's showing as much as that, that wobble, when I'm standing on a on a wobble board and I can't stay steady, my, my foot is always moving, that it's almost, it's, it's pretty much almost too much input. That I'm not gaining that strength need, that strength training need that I'm searching for. In therapy, in rehab settings, this might be acceptable with a trained professional, a trained clinician. But when we're working on building people with what we call functional strength, this has no business being in those programs. Well, how do you how do you train your stabilizers then? This is a good question because we need those stabilizers. We need those little. And so if you look at stabilizers, like you have you have what we call it. Let's just call them the global muscles, your large muscles. So those are the ones that are pretty apparent. You know, you have your chest muscles, you have your butt muscles, you have your quad muscles, hamstrings. The list goes on. All these ones that are pretty pretty visual. And then you have those stabilizers. So those are going to be more deep muscles. The stabilizers muscles cannot be isolated. They cannot be trained in isolation because that's not their function. That's not their purpose. Their purpose is to work in unison with everything else to help create stability. And I think this is right where we hit the uh, nail on the head with the hammer about functional training. Is It requires a lot of stability. And stability is being motor control. So as we're unpacking motor control, we're thinking about how the brain and the body works together that what we're not looking for is necessarily how much weight you can lift, but how well you can lift it, the, how, how you carry the load. And when it comes to motor control, when it comes to stability, it's not about the muscle firing. 
It's about the muscle firing at the exact time it needs to and turning off at the right time. Because if our, if our body was 100% turned on, we wouldn't be able to move. Our muscles would be so tight and stiff, we couldn't do anything. So like in something like walking, it's almost as you're walking, certain muscles light up and certain muscles turn off. And throughout the stride of your, your walk, your gait, it's pretty colorful how the different muscles can turn on and turn off and turn on and turn off and turn on and turn off. That's stability. When we start getting a little glitch in the matrix, when we have a misfire, then we start becoming unstable. So getting back to how we train stabilizers, well, in a functional training system, something like maybe, I don't know, DVRT, what, we, what we've learned is that in order to train your stabilizers well, you need to be on a stable surface. Now, that seems almost like counterintuitive because if I want to stabilize, I better be on an unstabilized, sta unstable surface. However, when you're in a stable environment, but you allow yourself to be in unstable body positions, this now, this is where the rubber hits the road. So it's not just about being in single leg stances because single leg is a very unstable environment. It is a very unstable body position. But for a lot of people, this might be too much input. And what do I mean by too much input? Once again, if I'm standing on one leg and I am all over the board, I am, I'm being, my body's being tossed around like that weird balloon at the used car deals uh, shops, then that is too much input. But if I'm standing on one leg and not moving, that's practicing my balance. That's practicing my stability. Even though I'm very stable, you know, there's the little, little muscles in my foot, little muscles in my lower leg, all the way up through my glutes that are, are working. And it might not be easily seen, but that's me working my stabilizers. However, as I mentioned, from standing on both feet on the ground and going, from a, going to both feet on the ground to a single leg stance, that's a big jump in progression. That would be almost saying that, hey, I have a 100-pound bench press, and then tomorrow I'm going to come in and I'm going to bench press 400 pounds. That's a big jump in progression. So you know, we have the different ways through DVRT as we know about our different body positions to, to enter into, even though we're on a very stable surface, i.e. the floor, the ground. But when I can put myself in these different precarious positions where I am being challenged, now my stabilizers are working. And the thing that sets it apart even further is that I believe good functional training is talking about slings, is talking about chains. We can't be talking about muscles when we're talking about functional training. I feel like if you're, if you're searching for a functional training facility or a, a coach, a trainer who trains within functional training, you, if they start talking about muscles, you need to get out. Just get out. <laughs> Don't say a word. Turn around and leave. Um, I'm just kidding. But you need to think about that because if we start talking about muscles, we're starting to talk about isolation and we're starting to get into bodybuilding. And bodybuilding has such a huge influence in the fitness industry to this day especially people that are into functional training. And I know this for myself. When I thought back in my younger days about being into functional training, I was just doing bodybuilding things with like circus feels to it. As I go back into the timeline, you know, we talked about the bulls. There was this moment where it was just amazing for me. The NSCA, 
National Strength Conditioning Association is the oldest governing body of strength conditioning fitness. I, I don't know exactly how that is, but it was like in the late 70s that this board came to be, which just tells you how young the fitness industry is. Late 70s, the first, the first board comes out, the first governing board. Um, and here we are, like, only a few years later, right? I mean, if you look at it, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, 2020s, you know, we're, oh, my bath is so bad. We're only like 50 years into this um, with like kind of legalities and boards and stuff like this. Well, somewhere in the 2000s, I want to say maybe uh, five, maybe six, maybe 2005, 2006. I had, at the time, I like a real professional gig. I was, I was, well, I was working at the job I got fired at eventually. And early on in my career there, I, in order to maintain my certification through the NSCA, which was very important to me, still is, you have to do continuing education. And so I went to the boss and I presented her with this and said, well, because I'm employed here, is there any way that the company could help me out with this? And I did not expect what happened next. The fact that like, well, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? I felt like I had an open book. And uh, at the moment, there was the NSCA was holding something at their uh, headquarters in Colorado Springs. And it was their first ever functional training symposium with um, a couple big names in the industry. And I wanted to go to that. <laughs> it's like kind of go big right away. Not something local, which unfortunately, Wisconsin, there's not too many local things. And even in Chicago, even in Minneapolis, it's just not... There wasn't too much to choose from outside of perform better. And I, I was just like, this is what I want to do. And so, shoot, I got a plane ticket. They paid for my room. They, I mean, it was like, wow. I, I, my mind was blown because of that. But more importantly, my mind was blown at this event. It was amazing. It was like a long weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday maybe. And I was blown away by the functional training aspect there. And what I... And some of the stuff that I learned back at, again, I think it's 2005, 2006, somewhere around that time, the things I learned then, I still actually hold true today. I mean, that's how, that's how crazy it is. Like when it comes to programming, there were some things I learned there that I'm still holding on that I use in my own programming to this day here at Fitness Lying Down. And I remember though, Juan Carlos Santana, that was the name of the guy who was the, the main speaker. And I thought he was the coolest thing because I was reading his books and I was watching his videos and he seemed to be pretty on top of things. And at the time he was. But he was talking about the fact because at that time I was like swearing off all any kind of conventional fitness, any kind of conventional strength training. So if you're bench pressing, I thought you were stupid. I still kind of think you're not smart today. But um, if you were just all these different modalities, because it's like, oh, it's got to be functional training. He's like, why can't it be everything? You know, if you want to get some muscle, go talk to the bodybuilders. They know how to build muscle. You want to build strength? Go to the power lifters. They know how to build, stre- build strength. You want to learn how to, to clean uh, with a barbell? Go talk to the Olympic weightlifters. They know what they're doing. And all of a sudden, it's like he was showing us how to make a, a balanced program that had a little bit of everything in it. And because of that, it actually became a little bit more practical, more functional. It wasn't so one-sided. And again, in the functional training terms, 
we didn't really have like the best terminology to define it. You know, it's easy. Bodybuilders, they build physiques. Powerlifters, they build strength. Olympic weightlifters, they build speed, speed and power. But what does the functional training people do? And but what he was talking about was the fact, that, and I'll share this because it's very important. Like, let's say you have a, a program written out and you have one exercise. And let's say it's a bench press. Let's just say you do a bench press because, by golly, you want to build your chest muscles. Now, see what I just did there, though. I talked about muscles. We want to talk about pressing. So I'm doing this press, and I'm, this is my big exercise. So the first exercise is the bench press, big exercise. What is my second exercise going to be? It's going to be something to help unload. So if I'm doing that upper body press with maximum weight, maybe I might want to unload it with a lower body pull. Now, what's a lower body pull? Kind of a hip hinge. Not kind of. It is a hip hinge. <laughs> your deadlifts, your good mornings, things like this. But because I say you want to unload that lower body pull. So you see what I did? I did. Upper body press, lower body pull. Different parts of the body and different movement patterns. So that way you allow the upper body to rest a little bit. Because you don't want to just go from bench pressing to another kind of press to another kind of press. That's going to exasperate your pressing movement pattern, your pressing muscles. So if I can give it a little break, and maybe, you know, as, as funny as this sounds, because it's not unloading, because a single leg deadlift with dumbbells, but I'm just thinking about the things that we were talking about back in the early 2000s, would be considered an unload. Why would it be considered unload? Because I'm using lighter weight is how we defined it. Now, I know better than that today, thanks be to God, because that single leg deadlift is going to be more intense. Why is it going to be more intense? Because it's so much more neural. It demands so much more of the body than a maximum bench press. Can you believe that? I just said it. A maximum bench press actually requires less than a single leg deadlift. And it's a true story because why? On that bench press, I am very stable. I'm lying on a bench. I don't have to, you know, I have to brace my body for the weight I'm about to use, but I don't have to brace my body against gravity. I don't have to fight other forces of motion trying to pull me in different directions. Unlike the single leg deadlift. Boy, I started going to that single leg, and you know it if you've ever done it. There's all this wobbling going around. Your front knee is moving around. Your foot's moving around. Your shoulder's moving around. You have to really be ready to enter into that single leg hip hinge. And that's why it demands more. Maybe not weight, because it's going to be very impossible to match your single leg deadlift weight with your actual both feet flat on the ground bilateral stance deadlift weight. True story. So that event just really got me going. I got so excited because I started seeing programming in a different way, which made it more exciting for me. Because before I was just like programming, like you're going to do this exercise for so many reps, you're going to rest for so many seconds, and we'll go back and do it again and again and again. And now my eyes are bleeding and I don't want to be here anymore. But with this new fresh breath of fresh air, let's call it a functional training programming. I was rejuvenated and this showed when I went back to work, it wasn't like I wasn't energized before, but I just had this new fire lit. And because learning is exciting, when you get to learn things and you get to develop, 
becomes exciting. So she wanted me. My goal was every year I had to do something to keep this fire burning. And the event, the NSCA event, wasn't happening. That was just like, it was the first annual, and I think it was their, their last ever, which I don't know why. Well, I know they had a second one, but it wasn't, I didn't go, and it didn't draw nearly the crowd, and I think because they didn't have their main guy there. So I started shopping around, and I found that Perform Better. I knew Perform Better a little bit because I ordered equipment from them, and I don't know if I ever knew that they held these conferences, but all of a sudden I was searching and there's perform better in Chicago, a three day event, the industry's best, you know, presenting. So I brought that to her attention and boom, all of a sudden I got the company vehicle. I'm driving to Chicago, staying at the nice hotel right on site of the convention. Perfect. And then my mind, it was just like, boom. I mean, it was amazing how blown my mind would be starting to talk to. And it's great because I noticed whenever I go to these events now, being more of a perform better veteran, if you will, I don't get what I used to. I actually see it in a different way, and I'll explain that later. But I see the new faces that are coming in that have never never been touched by this kind of training, by this kind of knowledge. And all of a sudden, they're getting, they're getting exposed to this, and they're getting excited. And my favorite part about their excitement is how, in my heart, I feel like the people that they're going to be serving are going to get better because their trainers are getting better. And that's just a wonderful thing because I do believe, side tangent, there are too many trainers that just rest on, this is the way I've always done it. So if it's not broke, don't fix it. I'm just going to keep doing this. And they never grow. And it's amazing. And you know, one reason why a lot of them fizzle out, there's so much to learn in this industry. There's so much to do, so much networking, so much sharing of ideas. And it's a tragedy that any trainer would just rest on their laurels and not try to grow anymore. So when I see these young professionals coming in and they're just being excited because they've never seen it this way, and holy cow, it's almost, I try to tell them if we ever have chances to talk, it's almost like they, they think they have to redo everything. And it's, you know, as I say in the DVRT courses that I instruct, don't change everything, but just change one thing. How are you going to do things just a little differently based on the knowledge you learned at this event? So, going to the Perform Betters, I mean, I, always, it's, I started getting influenced by other um, fitness professionals, uh, other fitness leaders, uh, industry leaders. Movement became kind of more of a, a fad word for me, a, more, a term I'd rather use than exercise. Because I started learning about movement patterns, changing things up a little bit. So, for me, being at these Perform Better events just really started getting my brain going, got me more excited, being influenced by some of the industry's best, learning that instead of exercise, it's more movement, movement-based training. That's where I started drawing near to. And for myself personally, I was, you know, at one point I was ready to get out of the industry. I was tired of the redundancy, the same old, same old, count the reps, get people hot and sweaty, moving on. This started getting me turning in a different direction. And even in my programming, I stopped using barbells and I started doing more body weight things, which was kind of odd because for me, strength is all about what you can lift. But I started seeing some of this and it, it looked fun. It looked fun. And I was losing that, that fun feeling. You know, when I was going to the weight room back when I was younger, 
it was fun to go to the gym. It was fun to lift weight. And it just, as the years go on, I was getting bored with it. It just, it wasn't happening. And I think that this is one reason why we do get bored. It's because we keep doing the same thing over and over again with little change. So I'm going to increase the weight here. But then you get to the point, I feel like, where how much weight do you really have to lift? Where are you going to finally hit that plateau? Where maybe are you possibly going to get injured because of the weight you're lifting and trying to push through these plateaus? So I took this as an invitation. When I was exposed to MoveNat, I, that's where I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like rolling, almost like martial arts rolling. And crawling, jumping, climbing, hanging. I was like, I can get behind this. And I found out it really wasn't as easy as it looked. And I was getting everything off of YouTube. I, I didn't go to any course, but I was just, I was learning. I was trying to soak in as much as I could. When I finally did get to a course, and that was when I was at Fitness Line Down, so I think that might have been like 2015, maybe 2016. I think 2015. I went to Milwaukee. I went to a MoveNag course, and it kind of left me wanting. I was like, that's it? I feel, like, I feel like I was able to get that from the internet. I was expecting a little bit more in-depth stuff. But most of the stuff I was getting through the internet, I wasn't learning anything differently when I went to the course. So I was, I was a, little, a little let down, I'm going to say. I mean, it was a great event. Don't get me wrong. It was great to network with people that were all about movement. It was a different kind of culture. And it's one that I, I embrace and wanted to bring back to FLD. But I wanted to bring it back in my way. But it performed better, you know, this is where I met DVRT. And that's where my life changed forever. And this is where functional training for me. And I said I don't like the word functional training. I'm not a big fan of that phrase because I think, as I mentioned before, isn't all training to some degree functional? You know, I'll joke with people that bench pressing is not a functional exercise because if you're lying on your back and pressing up, you've lost that battle. But what, Carl, what Juan Carlos Santana said back in the early 2000s when I went to that uh, functional training symposium is that it's okay to bench press. Now, I'm not, I don't like bench pressing, so I don't bench press. But it's okay to bench press as long as that's not the end all. If you're going to take that strength that you're learning in that press movement and now take it on your feet and be able to press on your feet because this is going to be more practical, more functional. Lying on your back, Yes. You're not, that's not very functional, but you can build strength there as long as you can translate it to another body position. And for me, I was like, wow, that makes so much sense now. Amazing. I was so blown by that. And this is, as I was talking about before, coming into DVRT and learning now how the movement patterns, being able to apply this. And uh, again, train of thought got lost, but it's back. It's back. Functional training. Anybody could say, you know, you could walk into the a typical box gym, talk to a trainer, and the trainer's be like, well, yeah, my, my program's going to make you stronger, so you're going to be able to carry your groceries, you're going to be able to walk upstairs, you're going to be able to lift up that laundry basket that weighs 500 pounds because I'm going to put a barbell with 500 pounds on it, and that's going to be functional. <laughs> you're going to squat, you know, because when you go to the bathroom, you have to squat. So my squatting with a bar on your back is going to be functional because you have to squat. And you'll be like, all right, take my money. It sounds good to me. Functional. Yeah, very. So I think anybody can paint that brush. Paint that painting with a brush. <laughs> paint that brush. You paint the brush before you paint the canvas. I don't know. It's like, it, does the dog wake the tail or does the tail wake the dog? Who knows? 
with the DVRT system, though, for me, this is just where the world has gotten crazy, crazy good. I mean, we've been doing this for over eight years, and it's still freshly new to me because it's always, it's still, there's still changes that happen, not, not, not changes like for the worse, but there's, it's evolving. Maybe that's the better word for it. It continues to evolve. We get better. And it helps with building strategies. There's so many times, uh, a couple exercises that I have recently where maybe I'm going to take credit for it because I hadn't seen anybody on the social post it. Now, if they posted it before me, they can have all the credit. But it was a certain instance where I wanted to do a particular exercise with somebody and I knew they weren't able to do the exercise because, well, they needed a hip replacement. But I still wanted to get some of that movement out of there and I didn't know how to do this without them not being able to do it. So brainstorming and all of a sudden I came up with an idea and that idea became a crazy cool exercise, a movement. <laughs> there I go say an exercise. And exercise is not the wrong word. Uh, it, the exercise is to practice the movement. And now anybody, I have everybody doing this particular exercise because it's good for them. And, you know, whether they can do the actual exercise I wanted in the beginning, even if they can do that exercise, I still have them do this exercise because it, it has a different meaning to it. There's a different, a different way of the body having to resist and to produce force, and everybody wins. So this is the strength of DVRT, to create strategies and solutions, to be able to serve anybody, meeting everyone where they're at, and giving them that, that strength that is resilient, and that strength that is timing, timing precise, that strength that is precise, precision strength, I don't know. Because as I talked about, with stability, being neural, it's not about you being able to fire muscles. I could just sit here and flex muscles all day long. It's about the muscle turning on and turning off at the right time. That is stability. That is motor control. That's what we're searching for with human movement. And so when it comes to functional training, there's just so much more than corrective exercises. Because yes, as we've talked to Shannon before, you can get strong. You can build muscle through functional training because the load, even though it might not be the crazy heavy loads that you might be accustomed to in traditional gyms, you put that load on top of different movement patterns and different holding positions with different body positions, all that adaptation that has to happen. I think that's what I talked about last week when I was really kind of not thinking clearly. So it's been an interesting journey for me in the functional training land. Going from the college setting where there really was no functional training, it was just the cookie cutter programming for almost strength and conditioning, for programming for athletes. Not for grandmas and grandpas, moms and dads, uncles and aunts, but for athletes. But how, how we're missing so much of the population. Going to the Chicago Bulls, being influenced by their way of seeing functional training now, which still has influence in my life today. And then moving on, getting my first career, my well, my, my, my big boy job, being able to go and have that exposure to a functional training symposium that really just knocked, knocked the socks right off of me. Amazing. Going to perform better. Meeting DVRT. I mean, holy cow, like when you really look back at that experience so far, like in the last 20 years, it's been a quite the trip. And I'm so glad that we can provide here if it is lying down the fruit of this experience and it's going to keep getting sweeter that fruit is just going to keep getting sweeter 
because we're staying on top of the education. We're making sure that we're not just settling for what we've always done. We need to continue to strive to get better. That, I, I challenge you. Even if you're not in the fitness industry, how can you strive to get better? What can you do to challenge yourself, to push yourself? Push yourself into a place that's uncomfortable, something you don't want to learn, something that might, might actually make you rethink everything you've done. That right there, wow. I mean, that's, I've been in that moment. Unfortunately, you know, as the two roads diverge in the wood, I, I took the one less traveled on. That's made all the difference. So, until the next time that we meet, friends, Godspeed. <laughs>